right, we're in the last week of a series that we've been calling Board Games and looking at some of the games I grew up playing and just talking about how they apply to life. Man, I have enjoyed this series. It's been a good series, good feedback to the series. But like all series, you're only four weeks into this series. I'm about nine weeks into this series. I start preparing for the series a month before it starts. and I, So by the end of a teaching series, I am officially over the series. Anybody that knows me is nine weeks is way past my attention span. And so I'm excited about the message today, but I'm more excited about the fact that it's over and we start a new series next week. We have two traditions at Action Church. I say this every year, two traditions. Everything else that we do, you never know when it's going to change, how it's going to change, but we do two things that you can take to the bank and you can count on. We do a rocking Christmas Eve service. That's what we call it. We tailgate in the parking lot before we show up. It's our biggest service of the year. It's a party every Christmas Eve. Some of the best bourbon and best snacks you'll ever have in the parking lot. We come in and we have Christmas Eve service. I don't know how that started. It started about six years ago and it has grown every year. And then you can count on that every July we do a series called Summer Rocks. And we take some of our favorite rock and roll songs, the band performs them, and we talk about the biblical meaning found in those songs. And so we can obviously have added a little mini, if you will, mini tradition to the Summer Rocks. It seems like now for the last two summers, and this will be the third summer, we always start the series with the Fozzie song. And so next week, if you know who Fozzie is, it's a band. Some of the guys go to church here. They keep their stuff here. So next week, we're going to be doing their new song, Nowhere to Run. And I'm going to be talking about the biblical meaning found in that song. Super excited about that series. Phil gets excited about that series. But that's next week. And this week we got to get through this thing. And we have said for four straight weeks now, life is a game. Or at least you can learn a lot from games about the game of life. We're in the last week of this series and we've been talking about different things the first week. We talked about the game Scrabble and talked about the importance of our words. The second week of the series, we talked about one of my literally favorite games, Shoots and Ladders, and talked about what do you do when shoot happens. Last week, we talked about the game Hungry, Hungry Hippos, and we talked about our physical health. I told Christine when I walked off the stage, I said, I never want to teach on that subject again. And it was horrible. It was tense. It was weird. I felt like everybody thought I was talking generally about them when I was 100% talking about me. But I tell you, I also had some incredible feedback from that sermon. A lot of people sending me messages thinking, talking about there was aspects of their physical health that they hadn't thought about, and that's the whole reason we do it. And one of the games that has quickly become a favorite in the Lamb House is what we're going to close out the series with, and that's the game Sorry. Has anybody ever played the game Sorry? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Awesome. I didn't realize so many people had played that game. The game of Sorry is a very intense game, and it's a very frustrating game. I don't know if there's any game that you play where you can be so close to winning the game and literally in a couple of moves be right back to where you're nowhere near running the game, winning the game. And so the game is real simple. You have four pieces. There's four areas. They're color-coded. You're in this home base, for lack of a better word, and you have to get around the board, and you have to get to the safety zone, and you get out of the the home base. 
You get around the board by drawing cards that tells you how many moves that you can make. Some of the moves are forward, some of the moves are backwards. But an interesting thing about the game, sorry, is is there's two numbers that you can draw and a sorry card. And essentially what those numbers do and that card does is it allows you to take your piece and exchange it with any piece on the board. So what that means is, is you're here, you've got to get all the way around the board, you're the red piece, but the green piece is two spaces away from your safety zone. You can swap your piece with their piece, send them all the way back to the board and put you there. You want to talk about feelings getting hurt when that happens. And really, you have nothing to do but look at the person when you do it and say, sorry. I know you're frustrated. Sorry. And I got to be honest with you because that's the name of the game. I thought my message this week was going to be about how to apologize, how to tell someone you're sorry. But here's the reality of that situation. When you do it, you say sorry, but you're not sorry. Because you're trying to win the game. So as I got to thinking about the aspect of the game, the game is really not about saying sorry. The life lesson in the game is simply this. How not to hold a grudge when someone takes your piece and starts it back over. I watch it with my kids when they play the game. The minute, and this is where my kids lose, they allow grudge to take over. So somebody takes their piece and sets them back. Their brother does it to them and sets them back. So the next time they have the opportunity, they don't think strategically what's the best move for me. They think, how can I hold on to my grudge and get payback to my brother who just did this to me? How can I get payback to mom who just did this to me? How can I get payback to dad who just did this to me? They're not thinking in terms of winning They're thinking in terms of, I'm angry, and I'm mad, and I hold a grudge, and you never make the right decisions when you're grudge-holding. Somebody say amen. Amen. So the game is called sorry when the game ought to be called grudge. It really ought to be about how do you let the feelings that are festering up when someone has done you wrong, hello, and move past making a rational decision that allows you to move forward. It's funny, people get offended, you picked them or you swapped with them, even that's the whole even though that is the whole goal of the game. The goal of the game is to win. And when you start making decisions based on a grudge, you start making a decision based on feelings You start making a decision based on the fact that you're angry. You start making a decision based on the fact that you're hurt. You put yourself in a very vulnerable position. Because it's impossible to win at life and hold a grudge at the same time. You've heard me say this about forgiveness before. Here's the deal with letting go of the grudge. The person who did the move on you in the game, sorry... They're not even thinking about the fact that they sent you back. They're thinking about the fact they're trying to win a game. 
They're focused on the best possible moves to put them in a position to win the game. But now they've got you off track and you're obsessed with the fact that they did you wrong. How many of you would be honest today? And I know it's church and it's hard to be honest. But you would say you know somebody who is easily offended. Don't point at them because you'll offend them. You say, I know somebody who just is easily offended. If you don't know somebody who's easily offended, chances are you're one of the smart people who is not on social media. It's a jungle out there. We live in a society where it seems like, and if there was ever a more relevant time to say this than right now, I don't know when it would be. We live in a day and time where it seems like everybody is offended almost about everything. It's so easy to be offended by different people's views, different people's stances, different people's opinions, even when those opinions and those facts don't affect us in the least. We get offended and jump on the crusade of subjects that we haven't thought about in our entire lives. But the fact is nobody's going to tell us what to do. Nobody's going to tell us what I can wear and can't wear, what I can believe and not believe. That we begin to get offended even when they're not requiring us to do that. We get offended because their view is different than ours. Three of you agree. The rest of you know I'm talking to you today. (laughs) Getting offended. And you know what's funny that I've learned when it comes to grudge holding? Nine times out of ten, it's not even the big issues that trip us up. It's the small issues that trip us up. I mean, something as simple as somebody rolls their eyes at you. And it sets you off. Someone uses a tone that you, don't miss what I'm about to say, that you interpret it a certain way. Or they sent you a text that you read a certain way. And now you're offended. It's funny around here, I have certain individuals that have come to me in the past and are like, I just don't feel like you like me. And I want to be like, well, I probably don't. (laughs) But why do you feel that way? Well, I mean, you joke around with everybody but me. But then here's what happens. Next week, I joke around with them and they get offended about that. (laughs) He said that to me. We just get offended about everything. Maybe someone forgets to tell you thank you for something that you've done. And you get offended. Can I tell you one of the things that drives me the most crazy and just gets me on tilt so quickly? It's stupid. I've allowed it to ruin my entire day. My pet peeve is when I'm driving and I allow someone out, I allow someone to merge in front of me, I allow someone to go before me, and they don't. Give me the wave. Drives me crazy. 
There's the code. Now, in the grand scheme of things, why do I care that someone I don't know and will probably never see again gave me the wave? Because we're easily offended. I mean, you don't even give me the nod. I'm thinking to myself, I could have just left you there. I could have let you sit in traffic. If it wasn't for the grace and the godliness and the mercy that flows through my pastor veins. And you can't even acknowledge that I let you out. Can I tell you something else that bothers me? I've had to grow out of this one because it led me being very frustrated with my wife a lot. Because we're selfish by human nature and we don't take time to consider what someone else could be doing. I can't stand to text somebody and they don't respond back. How stupid. Here's what really bothers me though. And don't ever try this with Betty Blankenship because she will not text you back. And for the record, I'm not texting Betty Blankenship all the time, all right? Oh, yeah, I am. I ain't lying. No. But here's really what drives me crazy. is when I send them the text. And then the bubbles pop up. Dots. Dots, dot, dot, you know. So you know they were in the mode of about to send a response. And then the dots go away and no response comes. Irritates the fire out of me. What happened that made you stop typing the response to the question that I obviously needed or I would not have asked it. I wasn't just bored and sent it to you. Stupid stuff just gets us offended. You were bubbling me and now you've ghosted me. I watch people with my wife all the time like, are you mad at me? Mad at you about what? Well, you didn't respond to my text. Oh, I'm sorry. I have four kids at the house and a house to clean and a 44-year-old man-child and three dogs and I work and sorry that I didn't stop to respond to your message. We allow the stupidest stuff to get us upset. I'm so offended. I'm so offended you didn't invite me to this. But even though every time we invite you, you don't want to come. I'm so offended that I wasn't included in this. Or maybe we just forgot. I was in a group message. Oh my God, I hate group text messages. And I simply forgot as I was adding people to the group message to add the spouse of one of the people to the group message. So instead of that person saying, hey, I don't think I got included, and be like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Let me add you. I guess I'm not invited. (laughs) Yes, you're right. You're not invited. We invited everybody and your spouse and your kids, but we were going to make you stay home. (laughs) Oh, 
I'm sorry. I, I've been mad about it for four days. Then you're stupid. <laughs> but you're really not stupid because I do it all the time. Get offended about the simplest stuff. My wife and I, huh, didn't really realize I was preaching on this today. I might explain my yesterday. We decided to go to the farmer's market yesterday. My wife is in a text conversation with someone of importance. I don't slow down enough to realize she might be in a text conversation of importance. I ask a question she doesn't answer. I mean, if you want to be an ass about it and not just ignore me, that's what came out of my mouth. Let me go ahead and tell you, that does never go good. Ever go good. Never. Because she didn't answer in the timely manner that I dictated she should have answered. I'm offended. I'm irritated. When I could have just waited for a minute, asked the question again, and breathed. And I mean, again, I haven't even covered, other than talking about a second ago, social media. More people get offended. Do you know I have had people come up to me on Sundays and be like, you mad at me? Mad at you about what? I mean, you haven't liked one of my posts in a week. <laughs> oh, I, okay. That's your barometer on whether or not I'm mad or not mad? Literally, I had someone message me like, I, they don't go to this church. They were like, I, man, listen, obviously I've done something to offend you. I'm like, what are you talking about? I got no offense. I don't even really know you that well. I don't even think about you. Well, I put out a devotion every Tuesday. It'd be nice if you liked it. I like all your stuff. The extent of my liking stuff on social media very much has to do with when I'm in the restroom and when I can go down and hit like on everybody's post. That's the extent of it. So if that's how you find your self-worth when Pastor Gary's using the restroom and goes down and likes my post then this message is probably for you today. We get offended. We get offended by, I've had people get offended by how much I post. I had to unfriend you because my whole wall is you. Okay, what's my Facebook? I post what I want to post when I want to post it. If I want to post 732 times a day, I will. That, that offends you? Like, that's stupid. They have a different point of view politically than I do. I'm offended. Okay. Have you ever thought about that you have a different political view than they do? It's called opinions. It's okay. Did you know that there used to be a day and time where you could be friends with people who thought differently than you? The problem is social media has given everyone testicular fortitude in ways that they used to not have. You ever seen the, uh, the old meme or whatever it's called and it says, man, the problem with day and time is people think they can say whatever they want to without getting punched in the face? It's hard to punch someone through the face through a computer. So we can say a lot of things we wouldn't say to people's face. But it's amazing how offended we get. You know, we live in the day of perpetual offense, if you will. We're quick to be offended, quick to call foul, Quick to judge, quick to become bitter, quick to become angry. And I'm not pointing at you, I'm the worst. Recently, I was leaving church, 
about, I don't know when it was. I, it was the last time, Christine, whenever you were out of town. So probably about March. And I pull out of the church and I make a left. And I guess I cut some guy off. I didn't mean to cut him off. And he flips me the bird. He was lucky. I was in the spirit. <laughs> After a powerful morning of worship at Action Church. So I ignored it. I go to turn in to Buffalo's and another guy is behind me and I look in my rearview mirror and he's flipping me a bird. Let me rephrase that. I thought he was flipping me a bird. Now I'm on tilt. The Holy Spirit of God has pricked my spirit into a way that I'm angry, so I'm justifying it. I come into my parking space, I get out of my car and luckily... Before I make a jerk out of myself, I realized he was actually flipping the girl off in the passenger seat. They were fighting like nobody's business. But this is how easily we get offended. Now I'm mad that he's flipping her off. Luckily, I had the kids, so we went ahead and we walked in the restaurant. We live in a day and time where we're just continually offended. If you're looking to be offended... You'll always find what you're looking for. (laughs) But I need you to understand something about living in the day of offense. I need you to understand something about living in the day of bitterness. I need you to understand something about going through life with a grudge. Never, ever, 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 under any circumstances, do you win at living offended ever it's impossible I've never said to myself you know what I am such a better place in my life because I'm bitter man you know what I'm the healthiest I've ever been holding a grudge it's awesome man you know what I love waking up every day frustrated and angry at this person. It is phenomenal. Never. You know what? My marriage is so much stronger. Because I've been holding this grudge for four years. My relationships are richer. Because I'm so offended in life. Never have I felt so close to God as I do living life with this chip on my shoulder. Man, I've never made a difference in people's lives like I do when I'm just angry. (laughs) We allow small offenses to get up under our skin. So much happier today. So much better today because I got on social media and allowed people with differing opinions to affect me. Opinions are like buttholes. Everybody has them. And they all stink at one time or another. Theology from Pastor G today. I need you to understand something. 
as I have gotten older and I learn to deal with being frustrated. And I am the king of being frustrated. I am the king of a disagreement that could be talked out in 10 minutes. Instead, I'll just stay mad all day. Because going to bed angry makes it so much better when you wake up. But as I grow and I try to get past it, I'm learning that life is too short. Don't miss this. Life is too short. And your calling is too great to be offended by the small things. I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but make no mistake about it. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And you know what Satan has learned? Satan's smart. We don't give Satan enough credit. Satan doesn't have to throw big things at you to get you distracted. Because we get so bent out of shape over the small things. We get so tore up about the small things and the rabbit trail things that he knows he can distract us from our calling. We live a life that is moving by at rapid pace. There's days I wake up and I literally can't believe that probably, based on averages, half my life is over. That blows my mind. My wife had a lady she went to school with, has a daughter, has a friend, Emily's age, so early 30s, 32. No drugs, no pills, no vices. Laid her head down a week ago to go to sleep and didn't wake up. Life is so precious. Life is so amazing. And yet we waste so much of it being offended by things that do not matter. We don't operate in faith. We don't really at the end of the day believe God is in control. Gary, what are you going to do if so-and-so wins the election? I'm going to trust that God's in control. I'm proud to be an American. I love being American. But I don't worship America. I worship God. Some of you should learn the difference. God's in control. God's will and God's plan will never go off course. God's not caught by surprise. But the devil loves to come along and get us offended, sidetracked, distracted, or hurting because of a small offense. We went out last night with a group of people, and Christine's brother, I don't even know what they're talking about. I kind of got in in the middle of the conversation. And he's made some comments. He goes, man, I've never been around so a place where there's so much drama he fails to realize he probably puts himself in those positions. We told him that last night, so I'm not talking bad about him. But the devil loves drama. He's not wrong in his statement. The devil loves it. The devil loves to get us distracted by small things. 
And I think here's why. Because so many times when the big things come along, the big offenses happen, the big roadblocks come along, the big things drop us to our knees. And so many times we have nowhere to turn to but God. But the small things we try to handle on our own. And we get distracted. I love this verse in Proverbs 19, 11. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. Look at the second part of this verse. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Leave that up, Xander, please. A person's wisdom yields patience. As you're wise, you learn to breathe. You learn to comprehend. You learn to think before you speak. You learn to think before you type. Wisdom allows you to do that. Maturity allows you to do that. But it's one to one's glory, to one's benefit, to one's self-peace, to overlook an offense. Let me give you a reality today. In this life, you are going to be offended. In this life, you are going to be done wrong. In this life, you are going to be hurt. In this life, people are going to screw you over. With all due respect to some of our TV preachers, life is not full of, man, sunflowers and unicorns that fart bubbles when you follow Christ. The Bible actually says in this world you will have trouble. The Bible says in this world you will have tribulation. But he says, but take peace. He says, greater is he that is in within us than he that is in the world. You're going to have trouble. But when you get to the stage in your life. That you can overlook those small offenses and not let those offenses control you. It's game changing in your life. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. If I had to title today's message and it wasn't in a game called board games, I'd call it, I'm over it. Nudge the person next to you and say, I'm over it. You can do better. Now, I know it's a white church, but let's try it out. we got a little bit of soul today. Say, I'm over it. Say, I'm over it. I'm over allowing small things to bother me. I'm over it. It doesn't matter what you did on the way to church today. I'm over it. I'm over what you said to me. You were wrong. It wasn't right. But I refuse to live in the land of grudging. I refuse, to, I refuse to live in the land of bitterness. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself, and I'm giving an account for myself. I am over it. You no longer have control over me. You no longer have shackles into me. You no longer are going to have the honor of me carrying you around because at the end of the day, you're not worth my peace. But Gary, if I do that, I'm letting them off the hook. No. 
By doing that, you're giving yourself the greatest gift you can ever give yourself, peace of mind, and you're allowing God to deal with them. Bible says, vengeance is mine, said the Lord. Let God handle them. God has a much better way of doing it than you ever will. My wife and I had a heated discussion last night. And there was nothing that she could say last night that was going to change my mind. But as she fell asleep, and I laid in bed not being able to sleep, and then I got up in the middle of the night and was super thirsty and some weird reason did not want water, so drank a big old glass of Arizona tea and then had caffeine running through my body and I sit at the kitchen table wide awake. God didn't begin to work in my life. And maybe she was right. I said, maybe he revealed to me that she was right. So this morning, as I wake up, I have two choices. I can be prideful. And we can start the day like we ended the day. Which is normally my move. They call that the Gary. It's named in the dictionary, urban dictionary, after me. If you look up the Gary, it's wake up grudgingly and continue on with what you did the, other, the day before, even though you were wrong. So instead, I owned up to my wrong. told her she was right. She began to say some other things. I listened. Looked at her at the end of it and said, you're right. I don't want to talk about it. You're right, you're right. Now, I work through the process of her deciding she loves me. Well, remember, she always loves me. Deciding she likes me again. Because <laughs> I want that to end it right then. But we hold on to stuff. We become offended. The question then becomes, how do we let go of offenses? I struggle with this message this week because after last week's heavy topic, I wanted to come back with three points and a poem today. And I want to be like, bam, Jesus is in. And just preach and get you amen. But we got to cover another deep subject. A little complicated thing because here's the deal. If it was easy, we'd all do it. Holding a grudge is easy. Being angry is easy. It'll kill you. But it's easy. We simply close the gap with love. You say, what's the gap? I'm going to break it down for you. We close the gap with love. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up conflict. But love covers all wrongs. Sometimes the offending thing that you're letting go of, the other person was wrong. That's not open for debate. But love covers all wrongs. You're going to respond in love instead of conflict. 
Love covers offenses. We cover the gap with love. Let me unpack this for you. There's a dynamic that happens in every interaction. You may not notice it, but it happens in literally every interaction you have with someone. And what it is is there is a gap between the action Don't miss this. This is good preaching of a white boy is doing it. There is a gap between the action and the reaction. It might be a half second gap, but there's a gap. And in that gap, you decide how you are going to respond to the action. Now, I can't tell you. Yes, you can. You've heard me use this illustration before. How many times have you been throwing down with your spouse? I'm talking about it's heated. You're going at it. And your boss or a co-worker calls and you have to take the call. Hey, man, what's up? Oh, man, that sounds good. Yeah, man, I'll get on that. No, man, no worries. Man, appreciate you. Hey, man, you have a great day. Click. And blah, 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 blah. And you go right back at it. We take our bodies under control. We take our mind under our submission. We control our tongue and we control our thoughts. And if we don't, then we simply don't because we're weak. How are you going to respond to the gap? Someone does you wrong and your first instinct is to fly off the handle? Because there's a gap between every action and every reaction. We decide how we're going to respond. Someone acts, and I'm telling you, sometimes it can be a micro gap. There's a moment, there's a split second where you make an interpretive decision based on what that action means. But there's always an action, there's always a gap, and there's always a reaction. You can't control the initial action. But in that gap, you can control the reaction. So what we've got to learn to do, and I'm going to break this down, how this contradicts what the devil wants and God wants. What we're going to learn to do is is we're going to insert love into that gap. It sounds cliche and it sounds goofy, but the reality is love wins always. Love wins. You never go wrong responding with love. Well, I'm encouraging. No, no. You're not encouraging it. You're not saying it's okay. You're giving yourself the gift of peace. You're giving yourself the gift of peace of mind. There's an action that happens, for example, when a man puts his middle finger in the air when he's driving past your pastor. There's a micro moment where I then interpret, don't miss this, I interpret the meaning of his middle finger being up. In my rearview mirror, I don't see that there's a woman beside him in the seat. I don't see that they're fighting. I interpret that he flipped me a bird, and I decide how I'm going to react. The problem is this. Oh, I hate this. We are horrible interpreters. You are. I am. We all are. 
And we all know we are because how many times have you misinterpreted the words or the meaning behind the words that someone said to you? How many times have you misinterpreted a text? How many times have you misinterpreted a comment? Or how many times have you misinterpreted an action? How many times has someone done it to you? How in the world could you think I meant that? I would have never said that. You don't know me. Or you don't even know me when you should. How could you think I would ever do something like that? I never meant it that way. How many times has someone come back to you and said that? Because we're horrible interpreters. We're horrible interpreters. I'm going to pick on her for a minute. Robbie is the worst interpreter in the church. I can't tell you how many times she has sent me a private message and been like, were you mad at me with that comment? I'm like, oh, yes, you have. I'll show, do I need to put the screenshots on the screen? Don't lie, girl. And I'm like, no. Did I offend, were you, a lot, especially about all that's going on in the open. I'm like, no, I was driving down the road talking to text. You don't offend me. I don't care. You can have a different opinion than me. Of course, as always, like Robbie, I got her converted to my side now. We interpret things horrible. I interpret things horrible. Someone yesterday was looking for a biscuit place, and someone said something about Hardee's, and this person said something bad about Hardee's, and I was like, I was like, oh, our friendship's over. I love Hardee's. <laughs> Do I care if they like Hardee's or not? I was being funny. But they, didn't, they don't know me well, and they didn't interpret that when they're like, our friendship's over over Hardee's? And I was like, oh, I, I was kidding. Our friendship might be over that you're so sensitive. We're horrible interpreters. Do you know there's actually a name to this? It's called the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error. And the fundamental attribution error is this. It's the basis to attribute our own behavior to our circumstances while attributing someone else's actions to their character. You say, I don't understand what you're saying. You're going to. I want that left up there. The fundamental attribution error is this. This is why we're horrible interpreters. We always excuse our actions based on our circumstances. But we attribute someone else's actions on their character. We're attributing our own behavior based on our circumstances. In other words, I acted like this because I'm going through that. You should know me. You should know my heart. You, sh- you should know I would never do that. I- I- I'm just stressed right now. Man, it was a long day today. Man, this happened. Man, that happened. Man, in other words, if, if I did something to hurt you or disappoint you, there's a reason for it. <laughs> but when you hurt me, You're just a crappy person. That's why you did it. Well, they just have no cooth. You know, they're just a hothead. They have character flaws. That's why they do it to us. Think about it. You walk into a store, and your kid throws a fit. They act up. They misbehave in public. 
There's a reason, right? It's your kid. They didn't get a nap today. There's no snack. They didn't have time for today. It's been a hard day for them. They're three. Give my kids some grace. They're just going through a phase. They're not always like this, I promise. But you walk into a store and someone else's kid's acting up. Pfft, crappy parenting. They ought to learn to whip that kid. Maybe if babies would quit having babies, the babies would know how to act in public. Someone else's character. Can I tell you where Christine and I learned our lesson on this? You know what story I'm fixing to tell? So we go on a date years ago. How old was Brantley? Seven years ago. We go to Longhorns for the first time in a long time. For whatever reason, we had no kids. Longhorn has high booths. We go to sit down. And the kid behind us is crying, baby. It's obvious it's a baby. We never look back. I'll never forget. Look at the hostess and say, can you move us somewhere else where someone knows how to keep their kid quiet? We get moved to another seat. The next morning at church, Kara comes up. She's like, hey, saw y'all on Longhorns last night. Yeah, I think Brantley was crying and y'all asked to be moved. Kara's a great mom. But in that situation, I don't know what the circumstances were. Maybe you had a bad day. I don't know. Maybe you've been around Kylie and that didn't make anybody cry. <laughs> but we didn't attribute it to circumstances. We attributed it to character. We're horrible judges of character. So what happens is, is we judge the actions of people wrong. I know I'm going all around, but I want to get to this. It goes back to the gap. We've got to quit interpreting people's actions and just respond with love in the gap, no matter the circumstances. This is contrary between God and the devil, because here's how the devil wants you to respond. The devil wants you to fill the gap with accusations. The devil wants you to fill the gap with accusations. We have a spiritual enemy. You need to understand this. I know it sounds old school and blah, blah, but we have an enemy and his name is Satan. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to that. And he wants nothing more than to destroy you. And one of his titles in Revelation 12 is he is called the accuser. It says he accuses the brothers. He accuses the brethren day in and day out. He's always accusing us. You're no good. You're not worthy. So how do we fill the gaps? Well, the devil wants you to fill the gaps with accusations. He's the accuser. Well, she's always about herself. She had to mean this. He doesn't care about me. He had to mean it this way. The devil wants you to close the gaps with accusations, to think of negative. Accusations and assumptions erode relationships. They destroy marriages. They split friendships. They split churches. And God, I mean, the devil wants you to come along and automatically think the negative of every situation. 
Because when you start accusing, you start operating in the flesh. You start operating in bitterness. And I'm going to break these two down for you and give you examples. But God wants us to fill in the gap of love. The Bible says this in Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Don't miss that. When you foster with love, when you fill in the gap with love, you cover up that offense. But when you begin to repeat it, you begin to make accusations about it, you separate relationships. And bitterness sets in and anger sets in. But Gary, you don't know what they did to me. You respond in love. Now, don't mis- I'm not saying you be their best friend. I'm not saying you have to hang out with them. I'm not saying you got to be buddies with them. But you always take the high road, the view so much better. Let them talk. Some of you have come to me over the years and said, I don't know why you remain silent when so-and-so saying this. Because in every single situation, so-and-so eventually gets exposed. Every single time. God, I hate singling people out when I haven't asked their permission for stories, but I'm going to. Rob and them are here. Well, you guys got accused of a lot of junk. Bad stuff, let's be honest. And you shut up and kept your, I don't know how you kept your mouth shut. And you kept your mouth shut, and you kept your mouth shut, and you loved on people. And ain't it funny how when everything happened, they got exposed, and now you're in the best position of your life? I know your wife wanted to say something. She had to. Always flopping that jaw. I know she did. (laughs) But she responded in love. I don't even know if they consciously knew biblically they were doing that. But when you respond in love, the truth always wins out. When we went through all of our mess over the last two years with that child, all of you kept saying, say something, say, why? You didn't think that we knew it would all come out? I don't got to roll around in the trash. You take the high road. And God redeems you. And God reveals you. And you never go wrong responding with love. Ever. It's never led me wrong. Hmm. Whoever fosters love covers an offense. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love chooses to believe the best. Love trusts the other person. Believes the best in the other person. Let me give you an example. Christine comes to me and says, Gary, take out the trash. Gary, have you taken out the trash? I then have a split second to respond. Do I respond as the devil would respond in an accusation way? Are you saying I haven't taken out the trash? Are you saying I'm too lazy to take out the trash? Are you saying I haven't done my job? Or I breathe and just realize, whew, she's just asking me that I take out the trash because it was overflowing. And I've told her for years and years and years, I'll take out the trash. It's not your job to take out the trash. By the way, I've responded to that question in both fashions. 
when I respond with love, it goes a whole lot better. The devil wants you to respond one way, and God says he wants you to respond this way. Love says she's probably just curious that I take out the trash. She threw something away earlier and saw that it was about to overflow. And then she knows I'm going to get irritated that I take out the trash after it's overflowing. But when I respond in the wrong way, I get defensive. I'll get the trash when I get the trash. I don't need to be reminded. Which, you know what? I'm a man. I need to be reminded. Yeah. Someone doesn't respond to your text. You can allow the devil to sit up in your mind and be like, man, they don't care about you. They're mad at you about something. Your friendship's just not important. Or you can respond in love and give the benefit of the doubt and be like, man, they might be driving right now. Man, they might be busy right now. They might be working right now. They might not have their phone on them right now. We automatically lean towards the negative and wonder why there's so much conflict in our life. We assume, and we know what happens when you assume. We lean towards the negative. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. I love how this is worded. Bearing with one another in love. Sometimes you just got to bear with somebody. Translated, that could be tolerating one another in love. That shows me right there that it's not always easy. It doesn't mean they don't drive you crazy. It doesn't mean they don't get on your nerves. It doesn't mean they don't frustrate you. You're bearing with another in love. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for the fault of others. No one's going to be perfect. Sometimes they're going to do stupid stuff. Ask yourself, man, are they growing in that area? Man, they're acting this way. But man, they've really actually grown in that area. That's the first time they've acted that way in a while. Instead, we've got to snap and snip and respond in hateful ways. Make allowances. Give the benefit of the doubt. Why, Gary? Here's why. Because God gives you the benefit of the doubt. Think about that for a minute. You screwed up, messed up, selfish, sinful, make poor decisions every day person of who I am the king of. God loves you. God forgives you. God doesn't hold it over your head. God doesn't keep a grudge. God doesn't get mad when you do things that we don't agree with. We grieve him in the spirit sometimes. But because God sets the example to us, isn't it funny we always want forgiveness but we suck at giving it. We want someone to forgive us when we screw up. 
We want you to overlook our... Man, it was just our circumstances. But when someone else messes up, we hold it over their character. And sometimes we need to accept this. This has been a hard one for me to accept. Sometimes other people's behavior simply isn't all about you. Their bad driving and flipping a bird had nothing to do with you. Their bad mood has nothing to do with you. The edge in their voice may have nothing to do with you. It simply could be they're having a bad day. But you take it personal. You you react to the action in that gap with accusation instead of love. And you make it a thousand times worse. It could be they just got some really bad news. We want others to give us the benefit of the doubt, but we don't give others the benefit of the doubt. But Gary, what if legitimately somebody's rude to us? What if someone's intentionally mean to us or harsh? What I have learned, oh, this is a hard one. That when people are intentionally hurtful or mean or accusing to me, yet again, I'm nine times out of ten not the issue. They're the issue. They're probably battling something. They're dealing with something. My counselor has told me this for years, and I've always, one of the things I do a good job, and when I do a good job of it, things go good, and when I do a bad job of it, things go really bad. Sometimes you've got to step back and put yourself in other people's shoes. It doesn't justify their actions. They're still responsible for their actions. But sometimes you've got to put yourself in their shoes. So when someone's attacking or someone's doing, even when it's the most ruthless, vile thing ever, and I've had some ruthless, vile things, a lot of times I can just step back and say, man, it's not me. They hate, they hate themselves. They're mad at themselves, but they're not to the stage in their maturity to take self-accountability for it, so they're taking it out on me. It allows me to somewhat have some compassion for them. Again, it doesn't mean I want to hang out with them. It doesn't mean I got to be best friends with them. But it gives myself that gift of letting go. When you put accusations in the gap, you're always going to be offended. You're always going to carry a grudge. He did, she did. But again, you'll never wake up one day saying, man, I'm better off because of it. And let me make this clear. You're not filling the gap with love for the other person. They have to give an account for their actions. You're filling the gap with love to give yourself that peace that passes all understanding. Those people who were wrong, did you wrong, or even someone you love who upset you one day, in that moment, they're not worth you allowing them to ruin your day. When you respond to love, it doesn't happen. First verse we started with, a person with wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. It's wise to be patient. 
It's one's glory to overlook an offense. It's God honoring to overlook an offense. There's power in overlooking an offense. And again, overlooking an offense is not the same thing as pretending it didn't happen. It's just the conscious decision to let it go. It's kind of a form of forgiveness, real-time forgiveness. That happened, I'm going to let it go. Now, in the future, I might not put myself in a position to let it happen again. You might not ever get the pleasure of being around me again because of it, but I'm going to forgive it and move on. That word, overlook, in the original language literally means to pass over. I'm just going to pass over it. I'm over it. Co-worker doesn't invite you to the party, I'm over it. Someone doesn't return text, hey, I'm letting it go. I'm going to wrap it up right here. We need to understand some of Ephesians 4.2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Same verse I read a minute ago, but that's the New Living Translation version. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. People are going through some stuff. In this day and time we live in, people are going through some stuff. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Newsflash, nobody's perfect, including you. Respond to people how you wish they would respond to you. It's funny how the devil works. Put this sermon together. And did just the opposite of everything in this sermon all day yesterday. Wasn't a good day. Filling that gap with accusations destroys. And it keeps you from living the life you were created for. I'm going to give you a statement and I'm done. The calling ahead of us is greater than the offenses behind us. Again, they're not in my notes. They showed up, so they're part of my story now. The calling ahead of you guys is bigger where you're at now than it ever was before. It's funny. I've always said people who run bars are really more pastoral than pastors are in our community. They create better community. They're there when people are going through hard times. And you're in a place with bigger influence than any place you were before. But if you'd have lived in the past... You'd have never got to today. That's powerful. It's funny, I pastor a church now that is a tenth of the size of what I pastored 11 years ago. A tenth. Yet have more influence in our community and would be called the community's pastor a hundred times more today than I was 11 years ago. When those outside the church have their world falling apart, chances are real good this is the church they're calling. Had I hung on to the bitterness and anger of my past, I'd have never got myself set up for the calling of today. Some of you can't move past the offenses of the past. Sometimes they're self-inflicted offenses. And now what you're doing is you're wasting your calling for today. That ought to break your heart.
Life's too short for a grudge. And just like in the game Sorry, you will never come out on top playing to revenge a grudge instead of playing to win. Let's pray.